0: One of the delights about living in Tasmania was the opportunity we had to visit our brothers and sisters up in the Stanley Church up in the in the northwest and it's it's a beautiful church building if you've been up there you know that and an even more beautiful group of believers there in the Stanley Church but I just heard recently that the church may have to close it just doesn't have many people left the pastors had to stop He's very old and not, not doing so well, and so it looks like the, the Stanley Church may have to close. We, we pray that that won't happen, but it's, it's, it is looking that way. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking that the time may come when this church may have to close, when Cornerstone may have to close. Stanley Church has been going for well over 150 years, I think, but uh, the time may come when this church has to shut its doors. And if that was to happen, then this is most likely to be the reason that the young men and women of this church do not take over supporting this church, and serving in this church and leading this church that's what's going to lead to the closure of this church and any church when the young men and women the boys and girls sitting here this morning don't step up into support and leadership and you won't you won't do that, you won't step up into leadership you won't step up to support and to serve this church if you believe the devil's lies about this church and about Jesus' church in general. And this morning we're going to look at some of the devil's lies about your church. And this morning Jesus is going to show you the true nature of your church. And I pray that the truth, that Jesus' truth will expose and explode the lies that the devil tells about your church, and that you will see that this is a church very much to support, a church that you will want to step up into leadership in, a church that you will want to love and serve in, and that you will begin, if you're not already, and I'm, I'm talking to everyone, but I do have my eye especially on our young men and women and our children. If you can understand what I'm saying then this is for you, that you will begin to support the church now, that you will be keen to to step up into leadership as appropriate now, that you'll begin to love the church now. Come and see the church as God sees the church, because that's what we see here in Revelation 21. We see the church as our Lord Jesus sees the church and so we're looking at verses 9 to 27 this morning let me pray lord god as we have sung speak now speak now by your living and powerful word and change our hearts and our lives for jesus sake amen Let's look at the church as Jesus sees it. Look here at Revelation chapter 21 from verse nine, where John says that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The angel is about to show us the church of the Old and New Testaments, which is the bride of Jesus, the bride of the Lamb, which he loves so much that he gave his his life to, to save and to rescue his church from sin and the consequences of sin. So this is what we're seeing here. Descending from heaven is the bride of Christ, also pictured as the city of Jerusalem. Not the earthly Jerusalem, a pale and flawed shadow of the church, but the glorious heavenly reality. Jerusalem, the city of God. And here the the angel says to John, come, come up onto this great and high mountain. I've got something to show you. And in the Bible, mountaintops are often places where God shows his people extraordinary, important, and wonderful things. It was on Mount Moriah that that God taught Abraham about grace, about the sending of a sacrifice. It was on Mount Sinai that, that God gave his law to Moses. It was on the mountain that our Lord Jesus gave one of his most important sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. And now we are carried to a mountaintop. We sitting here in the Spirit are carried to a mountaintop to see something vital, something important. It is the Church, the Bride of Christ, the City of Jerusalem. We are seeing the Church as Jesus sees the Church. And this vision shows us what the Church will be, but what it already is in principle, It shows us what is here right now. Look there at verse 10. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You see, we're in the last days, the book of Revelation says. The time between Jesus' ascension and his return. And these are days of separation. The souls of those who have died in the Lord are separated from their bodies right now. The church militant, which is us, is separated from the church triumphant, which is in glory. The Lord is with us, But we do not see him face to face. These are days of of separation. And what we are seeing here is the separation ending. Jerusalem, the church descending, the church in its full unity. Jerusalem descends and the church in heaven and on earth is reconciled. And it shines with God's glory, with the brilliance of a very precious jewel. And look there at verse 12. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so here is the church represented as a city with a great high wall and gates guarded by angels. And this tells us that the the church is, is safe. It's safe in the protective arms of God. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. And it is enclosed by a wall on which is written the names of the patriarchs of Israel, the church of the Old Testament, and it is built on foundations on which are written the names of the apostles, the founders of the New Testament church. And so can you see that that the bride of Christ, the church, it's the church of the Old Testament, built from the, the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Israel, and It is the church built on the 12 apostles, chosen by our Lord Jesus to go and found the church. And together, the church of the Old Testament and the church of the New Testament makes one city, one church, because there is one bride. Jesus does not have two brides. He has one bride. We are in the same church as Moses and Abraham and David and Daniel. The church of the Old Testament is not a separate church group of people belonging to God. We are all in the one and same church. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, that you are fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And let me say at this point that a church that is not built on the teaching of the prophets and the apostles is not a church at all. The church must be built on the teaching of God's word, on the words of his prophets, the words of the apostles sent by our Lord Jesus. And over the last 12 years, you have demanded that of me. You've demanded that, that I teach the word of God, the word of God's holy prophets and apostles. And you must demand that of your new minister, your new pastor. The most important thing is, is that it will be a man of the word who will continue to teach the words of God's prophets and apostles, because that is what makes a church. That's the foundation of the church. Without that, the church is no church at all. The angel who talked with me, look, look there at verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. And he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length. And a stadia is about 190 meters. And as wide and high as it is long. So what shape is the city? It's a cube. And the angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. And the cubit is, is roughly the distance between a person's elbow and their, their fingertips. And it was uh, roughly 45 centimetres. And so what we see here in this vision, this mountaintop vision of the holy city, of the church, of the bride of Christ, is that it is represented as a cube. Now, what, why a cube? What's significant about the cube? Well, when we go back to the book of 1 Kings, we see that the temple that Solomon built had a holy place and then a most holy place. And in the most holy place was the Ark of God. This was the throne room of God, separated by that, that curtain from the holy place. And the shape of the most holy place was a cube, a space that was as high as it was long, and white. And so this, this holy of holies, this, this cube within the temple, was where the holy presence of God was. And it was a fearsome place for the people of Israel. And he didn't just wander in to the holy place, let alone wandering into the most holy place, to come unbidden and unprepared into the presence of God in that most holy place was death. And only the high priest could go in, and only once a year, and only having made a blood sacrifice to cover his sins. But here, this, this, this vision of the bride of Christ, which is also a city, the entire thing is cube-shaped, meaning that the entire city is the most holy place. To be in the church is not to think, well, I'm here and God is over there in some other sacred space. He's, he's here. He's among us. This is the most holy place. The whole church is the most holy place. And if the church is supposed to be holy, then you must expect that the church will be radically and profoundly different from the world. This is the, the biggest mistake that church leaders have made in the last 2,000 years, but I think particularly in the last century. The big mistake was to think, well, we're seeing people leave the church. And so what we must do is is to break down the walls between the church and the world and we must show the world that that we're not different. We're just the same as you. you. Come in. Don't be frightened. The church is just like the world. Now what happened? Did that lead to a great influx of people into the church? It led to precisely the opposite. It led to people... Walking out of the church. Why would I stay in a church if it's no different from the world? What's the point if it's no different? Brothers and sisters, the church is the holy of holies. God is present here. It must be radically different. Our values are different from the world's. We believe in the word of God in in, in a way that the world just does not. Jesus is our king, and he's not. People outside of the church don't look to him as king. Expect the church will be holy and different. Demand that it be different. But not only is the church represented as a cube, it's represented as absolutely gigantic look at the, the 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 size of it 12,000 stadia cubed now if you were to put that in kilometers that's 2,200 kilometers long wide and high and to put that in perspective into perspective the city of the ancient city of jerusalem was slightly less than 1 square kilometer the ancient city of rome was slightly larger than 18 square kilometers the city that is represented here has is four million eight hundred and forty thousand square kilometres. What what we're meant to picture in our mind is, is something absolutely gigantic, bigger than any city that the earth has ever seen and that you can even think of. In fact, if 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 this city described here had the same population density as New York, it would have 185 billion people in it. That's how big this this city is that is represented here as descending from heaven. And what is that teaching us? It's not teaching us that there is going to be exactly 185 billion people in heaven. It's not teaching that. But it is teaching that God's grace is so vast and wide that the church will be a great multitude that no one can count. And and isn't that exactly what God promised Abraham right at the start? I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. We shouldn't think, brothers and sisters, that heaven is going to be a place of just, just a... A few people snatched from here and there, but that god's grace is so great and wide that in heaven there will be a vast, uncountable multitude. And there are many theologians who would say that when we are in heaven, that we will see that the number of the saved, far, far outnumbers those of the damned, and the grace of God will be magnified forever forever and ever in heaven. And I believe that with all my heart. I agree with that. This is what the Word of God is saying. A vast, uncountable multitude. And we see again that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. 12,000 stadia. Now don't forget where the We're talking about symbols here. This is a a symbol of the church, symbolized as a bride, symbolized as a city. But its dimensions, 12,000 stadia cubed. It's that number 12 that reminds us that it's built on the foundation of the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles. It's the same with the walls, 144 cubits thick. Now, that, that's about 66 metres thick. That's a thick wall. But the point is not that the walls of heaven are going to be exactly 66 metres broad. The point is that they are 12 times 12 cubits, meaning that if we, if we think about the 12 patriarchs of Israel, that each of them, as it were, has become a nation in themselves. 12 times 12. Again, it's, it's pointing to the foundation of the church on God's prophets and apostles and the great number of the saved. Now, the wall was made of jasper, we, we see in verse 18. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. And the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl, the great city, the great street of the city was of gold as pure as transparent glass. Now, consider that if you were to, to collect together all the, the gold that's ever been in, extracted from the crust of the earth and you, to pull it all together, it would fill only three and a third Olympic sized swimming pools. So it's not that much, really, is it, when you consider the size of the world. That's all the world's gold. But here, this, this colossal city, it, it, it's all gold. And what's that telling us about the bride? What's that telling us about the church? It's telling us that it's valuable, that it's, it's precious in the eyes of God. This is how God sees his church as precious as gold, and as jasper. And I love how the city is built on the foundation of those 12 gems. This is the reason I love it, because think back to Aaron, the high priest in the book of Exodus. Do you remember that breastplate that Aaron wore, which was made of gold? And it had four rows of gemstones, three in each row, so 12 Precious gems set in gold. What was the message of that? Well, the high priest was, was a God figure. He, when the people saw the high priest, they were seeing a, 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 a dim picture of the Lord himself. And what they saw was the Lord, and what they saw is the Lord wearing, as it were, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, Where? On his heart. On his heart. You see, the the whole point of that breastplate was to teach the people, was God teaching his people, you are on my heart. You are like a precious gem on my heart. And, And what we see here is that the whole city... Built on those 12 gemstones, the message is that the whole city, the whole bride, the whole church is on the heart of God, is resting on God's heart, is loved by God, is counted as precious by God. This is the church in in, in God's eyes, in the eyes of our Lord Jesus, built on his heart, as precious as 12 gems worn on the heart of Aaron, the high priest. Well, the pearly gates. I think uh, everyone seems to know that Christians have some sort of vague idea that heaven has got pearly gates, right, And, and streets of gold. Well, what's the significance there? What's the significance of gates of pearl and streets of gold? I I think it's a simple one. Gates are normally built of wood and streets are normally paved with cheap flagstones. And what this is saying is that what we count as most valuable in this world, what people go to war for, gold, and people give their lives for gold and pearls. In heaven, that's just common building material. That's the stuff that people are walking on. The, the gates are made of pearl. It, it, it's an indication of the preciousness you see, the preciousness of the church, the value of the church in the eyes of God. The streets paved with gold. And I did not see a temple in the city, verse 22, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And we have this growing list of things that we will not see in heaven from the book of Revelation. There's no ocean. We saw that last week. And I explained that the ocean in the Bible is a metaphor for sin and the turmoil and the churning danger of sin. Well, there won't be any of that in heaven. But all that is beautiful about the ocean will be there. We're not going to miss out, because I. I love the ocean. And the ocean is going to be there in all its beauty and glory. But what the ocean stands for in the Bible, the turmoil of sin, that won't be there. And there won't be any sun or moon. And I, I love sunsets, and I love to see the moon like anyone else. But the point is that the sun and the moon were given, of, given to be signs to humanity of God's truth and God's light and the fact that God is light, and in him is no shadow of darkness. And in heaven, we won't need those signs anymore, because we will see God face to face. We won't need those physical symbols of his light and truth. But will all that is beautiful about the sun and all that is beautiful about the moon, will that be in heaven? Of course it will. Please don't think you're going to miss out on anything in heaven. (laughs) You're just not. And there's no temple in heaven. Why is that? Isn't the temple the most important building in the city? Why wouldn't we have the most important building? It's because the temple is where God is present, right? And so you don't need a temple in the city because the whole city is a temple. God's everywhere. God's not over there or over there. He's He's everywhere with these people. That's why there's no temple. There's no night, because in the Bible the night so often symbolises obscurity and lies and the work of the devil. That won't be in heaven. But all that is lovely and beautiful about the night will be there. The glory and honour of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And this tells us, brothers and sisters, that the gates of heaven do not swing open to certain nationalities, to certain cultures or ethnic groups. The gates of heaven swing open to holiness and godliness, Those are the people who come into heaven. Those who are holy and godly. And by birth, none of us are holy and godly. By birth, we're all rebels. It's only the grace of God, the blood of Christ, which washes away our sins, that makes us holy in God's sight. Citizens who can enter freely into heaven the city of God, to become a bride of Christ. It's only God's grace. It's our names written in the Lamb's book of life. You don't write your own name in the Lamb's book of life. God writes your name there by his grace. It's grace that opens the gates of heaven. Well, I want to finish. I I, I said at the start that, that I thought there were certain lies about the church told about the church, lies that if they are believed will cause people not to want to be a part of the church, not to serve the church, not to love the church, not to give to the church. And I want to finish by briefly addressing three of those lies. Now, the the first thing I want you to do I want you to think of all the people who belong to Christ across the world. All the people who belong to Christ in America, in France, in Niger, in Singapore, South Africa, the Philippines, Brazil, China, here. All the people that belong to Christ. Well, the devil, he wants you to see the church spread out across the world. He wants you to see the church as as ugly, as powerless, worthless, contemptible in comparison to the, the power of the world. And he wants you to distance yourself from it, to not support it, to dismiss it, even to hate it. And this is how he does it. This is the devil's most subtle lie. Just love Jesus, and never mind the church. That's his most subtle lie. Love Jesus, and never mind his church. That's the most insidious lie that the devil will tell. And today, we've seen the truth Today, we've seen how Jesus himself sees the church. It's his bride. Unimaginably glorious, blessed, holy, and precious. You can't love Jesus without loving his church because the church is his bride. Tell any husband here, I love... I like you, but I don't like your wife. They will say, you cannot like me without liking my wife. We're together. We're one flesh. We come as a package deal. You love us both or you love neither of us. And our Lord Jesus loves his bride with a ferocious and devoted love. You can't say to Jesus, I love you, but I don't love your bride, Jesus. He will say, well, then you don't love me because she is precious in my sight. And I shed my blood for her. And I see her as a beautiful jewel. You cannot love Christ without loving his bride. That's one reason to want to be a part of of the church, because it's the bride of Christ. That's a reason to support it, to be optimistic about it, to love it. Here's the second lie. Well, yeah, I, I see the glory of the church. It's magnificent. Yeah, I see all that. It just doesn't apply to my church. It doesn't apply to Cornerstone. It doesn't apply to my local church. I can give my connection, I can be connected to the church, I can support the church, I can love the worldwide church without necessarily loving my local church. And that's a lie. It's a lie to think you can love the church in the abstract, the worldwide church, without loving your local church. And here's the reason, brothers and sisters. The reason is this that local assemblies of God's people are never ever in the Bible described as fractions of the church, as, as fractions of the bride. Local assemblies are never ever described as having a fraction of the presence and the power of God. Instead, local churches are described as brides in themselves, as churches in themselves, as cities in themselves. That's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus does not write to the part of the church that is in Ephesus, and the other part of the church that's in Smyrna, and the other part, no, he writes to the church in Ephesus. Ephesian Christians, you are the church. You are a city. You are my bride. You are precious. The presence of God is fully present. Among you. Local churches are brides and cities and temples within themselves. Look around you. This is the bride of Christ here. This is the city of God here. God is not partially present, he's fully present here. This is not this is not a fraction of Bride's Christ Christ's bride here, it is his bride. This church is a church that Jesus has made precious. A church that he loves. And that's another reason to want to be connected to it, to support it, to be optimistic about it, to love it. One more lie. Well, I can be part of a church, but that doesn't mean I have to get along all that often. And it doesn't mean I have to serve within it and support it. Well, church membership, brothers and sisters, is not a label. You can tell a church member, not by their membership certificate, but because they participate. They're here. You're here. They give. They serve. And that is what has made Cornerstone such a privilege to serve in for so many years. That is what has made this church, by the grace of God, a strong church. People participate. So many in this church give sacrificially of their time, their money, their gifts, and their energy. You're not just members in name, but you're members in active service. And that As what has been such a blessing to one another. And that is why you've blessed the community. Because you've served. And so I want to finish by encouraging our children here today. And our young adults, especially. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. If you don't step up now to support, to serve. This is not mum and dad's church. It's your church. Cornerstone is your church. It's Christ's bride. It's his city. The presence of God is here. Jesus loves it. It is a precious jewel in his sight. Take hold of that for yourself, young adults in particular. It's not mum and dad's church. It's your church. And so, begin to support it, now. And and I'm so proud of you, because I see so many of you already doing that. And you're serving, and you're loving one another, and you're participating, and you're encouraging each other. Keep on doing that, go on with that. You are, in, in, in God's plan, the future of this church. And this church is his bride, his city. Learn to love it as he loves it. To give to it as he has given his lifeblood. And to serve it as our Lord Jesus delights to serve us. Amen.